This is Uniting Nations. On this episode, Anna Ikeda and I speak with John Ruer from World Beyond War. John has an audacious plan to use unarmed civilian protection in concert with the UN in order to help prevent nuclear disaster in Ukraine, which would have an impact across the world. I'm John Ruer. I'm a retired emergency physician with a long time interest in helping people find ways to resolve conflicts and keep themselves safe without harming others. So I've studied nonviolent actions as a way to do that over many decades and currently serve on the board of directors of World Beyond War and currently chair of a nonviolent effort at mitigating some of the harm in Ukraine called the Zaporizhia Protection Project. What is this Zaporizhia Protection Project about? The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe and one of the largest in the world, is sitting on the front lines of a war in Ukraine from the Russian invasion. And if that plan is disturbed, it contains 37 years of nuclear waste sitting in relatively unprotected pools that, if disturbed, cause another Chernobyl, creating a huge area of contamination across Europe and a zone of unlivability similar to Chernobyl for tens of thousands of people. And we are trying to support the United Nations International Atomic Energy Agency in a call for a nuclear safety zone around that plant to essentially remove it from the war effort to protect it while the conflict is settled in other ways. And what has the International Atomic Energy Agency been doing in terms of establishing this nuclear safety and security protection zone? In a piece of rather masterful diplomacy, the Director General, Rafael Grassi, of the Atomic Energy Agency, has done shuttle diplomacy between Ukraine, Moscow, Rome, Vienna, trying to get all sides to agree to create a safety zone around this plant so that these tremendous risks from radioactive release will not be added to all the other misery this war is causing. And the diplomacy work he's done to accomplish that is impressive because he has managed to maintain the position that it's Ukraine's nuclear power plant, despite Russia's claim to it, and has allowed his inspectors to go through Ukraine, something very difficult for the Russians to do. But they've agreed to that, attesting to his great diplomatic skills and Russia and Ukraine's knowledge that that plant needs to be kept safe for everybody's sake. And not only for the sake of Ukrainians and those around Ukraine, but for the whole world. Well, we know from the Fukushima and Chernobyl disasters of nuclear power plants that they can create worldwide contamination. Radionuclides were were detected all over the world after those disasters. And the Zaporizhia plant has at least as much or far more radionuclide material sitting there than Chernobyl did, and at least as much as uh, Fukushima. And so everybody in the world is affected some way by this. When I went to Romania and Ukraine in September and October, I was looking to find people who wanted to resist the Russian invasion without participating in war. Because we at World Beyond War think that war is more of an enemy to the human race than any other enemy is to each other, one group of humans to another. So we're looking for people that are willing to do nonviolent actions to maintain their freedom and safety rather than contributing to war. And it was a bit discouraging as we flooded the area with tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons, which seemed effective in protecting Kiev. But now this has grown into a war that doesn't seem to have any end. 
So while I was there, I read about the director general's proposal to create a safety zone around this plant. And I looked at the what they were doing, and suddenly there were 14 UN inspectors behind Russian lines in occupied territories in the middle of a war zone. And I'm thinking, this is unarmed protection. These are radiological technicians maintaining the safety of this plant, probably never heard of nonviolent action or civilian protection, and yet they're doing it. The least we can do, those of us who have been trying to study this and practice it around the world for the last 40 years, should give them all the assistance that we can. And then I realized, well, we don't really have a team of people ready to do that. So I created this project to recruit people to train and form a team that could be offered in assistance in whatever way the United Nations or, say, the Organization for Security Cooperation in Europe uh, could possibly use us to help maintain the security around that plant. Who would these people be that would uh, participate in this team and how would they be trained? We recruited people from all over the world, really about 30 people who have done all of our training so far. The trainings so far have all been online, but they are geared toward giving us a skill set that would be useful if we were deployed on the ground in support of the UN mission there. And that would include knowledge of all things nuclear, the dangers of the plant, what to do in case of a leak and so forth, a disciplined strategic understanding of unarmed protection methodology that's been so well written up now and used effectively around the world, Certainly a background in Ukrainian history, the conflict analysis of what the whole Russian-Ukrainian conflict is, practicing in uh, teams, working as affinity groups, emergence decision-making and that sort of thing. Some basic language skills and familiarity with digital translators, although we'd be dependent on human translators for sure, and a host of other things. How do you see the UN becoming more involved uh, what you've started? Well, the UN is involved. We're taking inspiration from these brave inspectors of the International Atomic Energy Agency. We just see are building a skill set that could aid them in any way they see fit. And neither they or we can be in that area without permission of really both the Russian and the Ukrainian governments. And they managed to do that for a small number of inspectors. They have not managed to negotiate for the safety zone around the plant. They're still working very hard at that, but we've been in touch with them. And while we're small compared to the resources of the UN, they have invited us to stay in touch with them because the situation on the ground is changing constantly. Neither they or we ever know what how we might fit in to do that. So the important thing for us is to be trained and ready should an opportunity arise to assist them in any way. Well, one way we can imagine doing that is most of their work is done at a very high level. So they're talking to the highest levels of the involved governments, as well as the military chains of command and so forth. We imagine ourselves being a civil society organization, perhaps being on the ground, helping plant workers and their families in the the involved cities and localities on both sides of the Dnipro River, which is the front line of the war. Uh, Stay in touch with each other so that trust can be built, that rumors that the other side is cheating or doing something can be quashed if needed, and try to maintain peace on the ground while the the negotiations are going on to, to keep this plant safe at a higher level. Thank you so much, John, for such an important work you're doing and also sharing what you're doing with us. So it sounds like you have been in touch with the IAEA and the UN and how it's been received. What kind of response are you getting from them? Well, we get many thanks for what we're doing and for our concern. Don't think we've yet been seen as a major player contributor. They have not said, oh, this is great what you're doing. Come work with us. Come meet with us. 
they have listened to us about what we have to offer and basically realize that we're pretty small in numbers and certainly in resources compared to what the United Nations already has. For example, the International Atomic Energy Agency, and I wasn't aware of this, has not just hundreds, but thousands of inspectors around the world, including some that have worked in conflict zones in other countries uh, that have been at war without directly affecting the plant the way this one has. But they have already done a lot of the kind of work that we expect to do. What we uniquely have to offer is a willingness to be places perhaps where others uh, might not quite be ready to go and to work uh, locally on the ground with people more like ourselves on both sides of the conflict to add with it to what they're doing. One way to look at that question a bigger way is look at what the world is willing to spend on violent approaches to conflict, right? The Institute for Economics and Peace, for example, says that the cost of preparations for violence and dealing with violence around the world is somewhere between six and $13 trillion a year. And you look at what the biggest nonviolent organizations are spending on protecting people. And they're two large, well-paid organizations. One is the Nonviolent Peace Force and the other is Cure Violence Global. And they each have budgets uh, you know, between 30 and $60 million a year. So it's minuscule to be almost unmeasurable compared to what the world spends on violence. The hope of a mission like ours is to show a few more people that there are places and times, in fact, we believe most times, almost all times, when nonviolence is a superior way to resolve a conflict or to stay safe. And that the good that violence seems to do is only there because that's where all the money is. And nonviolence is not unknown because it doesn't work, because it's not been tried with enough resources to really tell how well it works. Does that make sense? I totally agree. It's just that they are not used to this kind of work. You mentioned about how most of the work has been perhaps diplomatic and high level. And then on the other side is the use of force, be able to really implement this nonviolent way of protecting the power plant. There's really lack of evidence or lack of even imagination to see how this kind of work can succeed. So I think what you are doing is incredibly important. And I wonder, you know, now the war has been going on for almost a year. What do you want people to really know about the overall situation in Ukraine and especially your efforts? And how can people support you? Well, I think the main thing to be known is there's not a static situation that's just going to go on endlessly. It's very unlikely that this will just be a war that few people care about that can go on and kill hundreds of thousands and millions of people like the wars in Afghanistan, even Iraq, Syria, Ethiopia. That doesn't make the news despite unbelievable human misery and suffering. Um, this one is much more volatile because it's the first time really two nuclear powers are going at each other more and more directly every month as the weapons and escalation increase. And the risk of disaster at this nuclear power plant by accident or intentionally, or worse, the use, of course, of nuclear weapons, which is a threat every single day. And people's ability to pretend that's not really a risk just boggles my mind. This war could really, really do us in. You've got to realize that Putin or Biden are perfectly capable in any given day of making many cities in each other's countries look like what this war has done to Mariupol or currently at Bakhmut. And just pretending that'll never happen anywhere else is just seems like naivety that causes me pain. This is a very dangerous situation. So anybody that wants to contribute to alternatives, of course, I think the most important thing to do is call all our governments to negotiate an end to this war. 
and a just peace for both sides. And if they want to take a step further, by all means, join our volunteer activity here. And at some point, we may well get an invitation to get into Ukraine or some neighboring country and really make a difference on the ground. If I had to ask listeners to consider anything is when you see people in the world pushing for war or more spending on military affairs and willing to just ignore say, the cost of this war. I mean, the U.S. now says they're pretty convinced that 200,000 Russian soldiers have been killed and at least 100, probably many more Ukrainian soldiers and 50,000 civilians dead, that you count those. What could Ukraine, what could we be doing with nonviolence that might be risky, that might involve people getting hurt? But what can you imagine would ever do that much damage, not to mention the infrastructure, the loss of all the business, the, the facilities, the, the contaminated water, the lack of electricity, nuclear power plants at risk? What could nonviolence ever do that would be worse than that? And why wouldn't we want to put resources to an alternative? So leveling the playing field is what I ask people to do. If, if you think violence is necessary, this is a just war, just look at the cost in human lives, in money, in opportunities lost, in environmental damage, the moral damage. Even if the Ukrainians were to win this war outright or the Russians were to win it outright, which is almost impossible if you really look at the geopolitics but even if one, it would only so much hate and resentment on the other side. And look at what NATO's doing in response. They're, everyone is increasing their military spending. Former neutral nations now want to take sides and remilitarize. There's not any good end to that. You'd only sow the seeds of the next war, which would make much, much worse. We've got to find the alternative. <laughs>